We came up with a series Josh and I did a couple, like a month or so ago, because we're like, you know, where are we at right now as a church? And I was like, I can tell you where I'm at right now. Where I'm at right now is I just want life to fast forward until spring break. Anybody with me, right? Like this morning, my watch started buzzing. It was like special weather statement. And I was like, I got a special weather statement for you, right? And, and I'm sick of cold and snow. I grew up in Arizona. Julie grew up in North Carolina. We're transplants here. We still hate the winter. And it gets, we, like, this is how obsessed with spring break we are, is we had a Valentine's Day date. It was an hour. Uh, which is, you know, pretty good. And we got away for an hour at night, and we went out, grabbed a drink, and we sat there for an hour together just looking at pictures of the place we're going on spring break, right? <laughs> that was the day. It's like, oh, look at the sand. Look at the pool chairs. I mean, that was, that was the extent of our day. Uh, but here's the deal. is I don't think God wants us to just sit around for the next six weeks waiting on life. But I think life is a lot bigger than spring break. Let's be honest, okay? And there are things in our life that God is nudging us towards making momentum on. And I find that oftentimes where we get stuck is we just keep waiting. And there's lots of various reasons. And as we were digging into this sermon, I realized that I'm actually unequipped to talk about this issue because I'm not one of the wait kind of people. I'm just the opposite. I have, like, I need to wait more. I'm the kind of the guy that jumps out of the airplane and then is like, did I get a parachute? You know what I mean? Or we start, start something and then it's like, maybe I should have prayed about this for a minute before it got going. And it's caused really no pain for our family whatsoever, I would say. You know, it's so true what Aaron says is he, he's such a huge, like, faith stepper, like, when it comes to really big stuff. So it's real easy for him. Things aren't scary to him. And I'm more of, I'm, I proceed with a lot of caution, probably at times too much caution. And I'm more of a, like, maybe pray and wait or just wait, you know, because change is scary and it seems. But there are times when you're not that great at, that, that, at you really know. Really not. No, I don't. You, there are times when great. you don't, don't wait. There are times when you wait. Oh, oh. There are times when you wait, when it's uncomfortable situations and things that might be challenging for you to like in relationships or like you have to like reach out to somebody or you're putting those awkward personal relationships that can be a little more challenging for you to want to repair and make right. It's time for you to sit down. Yeah. No, no, it I is just, not time for me to sit down. When's it my turn? It's, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to say. Yeah, I know. Right there, it says I, it. I get you it. You don't wait sometimes. Yes. She's right. Or you do wait sometimes. Big, just <laughs> risk things. That's my lane. But the interpersonal stuff, I can find myself waiting and waiting. And we're like, you know, I need to have that. That's a difficult conversation I need to have with my wife. Or that's a difficult conversation I need to have with a friend or a coworker. And I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait. And it's usually not healthy in what God wants for us. And last week, I thought Josh did an amazing job with this sermon. I think probably one of, I personally, I think one of Josh's like top five sermons, I thought he killed it last week. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff so and the inspiration, all the stuff that we, and we stop waiting and start doing. And we started kind of processing that sermon as we we're thinking about this week. And, and your perspective on it was a little bit different than mine, I guess. Not that it was a, he did a great job. No, no, no. Josh just, was super inspiring and it was really great. And it was really motivating to me as we prepared this week. But one of the reasons I, I think the thing for me is, is like, I totally have good reasons why I wait. Or at least I think they're good reasons, but I have reasons why I wait. 
Like, and we want to take a look at that this morning. Like, I have reasons why I wait, why moving is harder and waiting sometimes seems easier. And so that's sort of like, I got done with a sermon last week. It was like, oh, I kind of don't want to preach next week because Josh kind of covered it all. And he did such an awesome job inspiring everybody. But as we sat in it some more this week, we realized there's so many reasons why we do that, why we wait. Yeah. And I wish that inspiration was enough. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what I do. I'm an inspirational speaker. So I wish that we could just get inspired and then everything would take care of itself. Yeah. But here's what I've found in my life. Maybe you guys are the same. Is you're here and, and, we, and you get inspired. And you take that inspiration. Usually you probably get through lunch, maybe dinner. Right? You're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to call mom and I'm going to tell her I forgive her. Right? <laughs> I'm going to follow Jesus. Or I am going to quit my job. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her to marry me. I don't know what it is. Right? You leave here and you're inspired you're going to do it. And then you wake up Monday morning and you go, I'll just wait till next week. Oftentimes, inspiration doesn't necessarily instigate motion. So this morning, we want to unpack three common reasons why we wait, see if we can't find ourselves in it. And we found a story in the Old Testament, maybe one of the biggest stop waiting, start moving type moments. In the book of Exodus chapter 14, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, open it, jump to Exodus chapter 14, or just watch the screens because that's where we're going to be. Amazing scene. Let me give you some context. The Israelites have been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. Not good days for the Israelites. God comes to him. He says, listen, bad days are over. Good days are coming. We're headed to the promised land. Here we go. Land, milk and honey, your own stuff, provision, no more strife and struggle. I have made you on purpose and for a purpose. You're my people, my chosen people. Here we go. Let's get moving. All sounds good, doesn't it? You read the story, it's in the book of Exodus. It's called Exodus because they're exiting from Egypt. So they have this whole thing with Pharaoh and there's 10 plagues. It's pretty crazy. You read the book, you'll enjoy it. They head out of town. There's about 1.2 million of them. They camp out for the night right outside, right on the shores of the Red Sea. And they're in a little bit of a precarious situation because they know they got to go that way. And that way there's a huge sea between them and the promised land and the next things. Behind them is Egypt, and they think things are good. We just got to figure out what to do with this sea. Let's pick up the story. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians. Time out. What is going on here? What's happened is the Israelites have gone out. They're gone for about a day or so, and then Pharaoh realizes, wait a second. We just sent all of our slaves away. Who's going to do all the crappy work we don't want to do, right? Go back and get them. So now the Israelites, God's done all this crazy stuff, but here they're sitting and in front of them, what they can't see is how they're getting across this sea. And when they look behind them, what they see is 600 chariots of Egyptian soldiers coming to kill them. And it says they were totally afraid and they cried out in terror to God. You ever been there? Like not at the Red Sea, obviously, but you took some steps of obedience to God and you got to a place where you just weren't really sure what was next. And then you look behind you and possibly what you see is is a bunch of the problems or a bunch of the enemies of your past still coming to get you. And so you don't see how you move in the future and all you can see is the struggles and the fear of your past coming to get you and you go, God, I don't know what to do. And so you wait found this video this week, and I just thought, 
It'd be kind of cool to see, kind of begin to empathize with where the Israelites may have been. Because remember, these were real people, right? This isn't a Bible story. This is a historical account of God's people. Like they really got to the edge of the Red Sea. And then God really did begin parting it. But think about that the ground would still be wet. There would probably be fish flopping all over the place. And think about your literal family right now trying to obey God in this. How old are your kids? Six, 10, 12, 14? Do you have any elderly people in your family? And you're trying to make it across this. And here comes 600 of your enemies hell-bent on killing you and bringing you back into captivity. We can read the stories and say, well, we wouldn't be like those people. But honestly, for me to watch some of this, it's like, man, I totally get how I would be right there on the shores of the Red Sea and be like, I'm just going to wait here. I'm not moving. But for the Israelites, it even got worse. It wasn't this that they were moving, that they wouldn't move. It says this. They tell Moses, weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so, that you, could t- so you had to take us out here into the wilderness to die? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt? We're better off slaves in Egypt than corpses in the wilderness. Think about what they're saying. That the fear of moving forward has brought them to the place where they're saying, it would be better for us to be beaten as slaves in captivity than to deal with the fear we have right now of not sure what God's going to do. But I tell you what, we've been there before, haven't we? Where you're in a life situation, whether it be a relationship, an addiction, a job that you hate, an existence that you can't stand, and God's saying, let's go. Start moving. You say, man, I don't know how that works out. God, I'd rather stay right here than move forward. And Moses speaks to the people. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at these Egyptians. Take a look at him today because you're never going to see him again. God will fight the battle for you and you. Just keep your mouth shut. And God says to us, I love this line from God. God says to Moses, why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites and order them to get moving. Right? I said, stop waiting. Get moving. I've got this. I'm ready to show you what I can do, but you've got to move. God says, hold your staff high and stretch out your hand over the sea. Split the sea and the Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. Mm -hmm. Difficult situation, but I'm starting to understand Julie's perspective a little bit more because think about standing here and how easy it would be for you to say, you know what, I'm waiting because I can't see how this is going to work out, right? Right? When I imagine that day for the Israelites and you're standing before an ocean, and I said this in the last service, like I hope uh, that most of us have had the opportunity in our life to be blessed enough to see the vastness of the ocean. And when you think about how 
tremendously large it is when you stand before it and you can't see anything past it and you don't know what's on the other side. And you have all the fears and all the past and all of the things that are coming down the hill that the Egyptians represent. They're coming down behind them and yet still God is saying, trust me and move. When what's in front of them seems so big, I can't imagine the emotion because so often in my life, I feel like the fears are coming behind me, chasing me one way and God is saying, go this way, but the fear of what's ahead and the fear of what's behind, it's like it traps you in the middle. So one of the things I've, we've been looking at this week is that one of the reasons we wait is just because we can't see. We just literally can't see. We can't wrap our mind around what it will look like if we stop waiting and we start moving. We can't see. Um, a few weeks ago, I uh, found myself at the eye doctor for the very first time in my life. Um, I've uh, never had been to the eye doctor ever before. I actually have had perfect vision my entire life, uh, 2020, and on a really good day, 2015. So, like, I could see anything. Like, actually, all of you people are in the back. I can see you guys, like, really, really well. Like, hey, Jenny. Like, I can see you really far away. Like, and I don't have any contacts or glasses on. I have really great faraway vision. I have really great close-up vision. I had all of those things. Found myself at the eye doctor a few weeks ago um, because on the magical birthday of 40, I was laying in bed, and I was reading my Kindle, as I like to do before I go to sleep, and I was like... What's wrong with this Kindle? It's broken. Everything, all the words are fuzzy. I was like, this Kindle has to be broken. And I'm looking at it, you know, and I'm like, oh. So I get like my phone and I'm like starting to realize that, oh, no, 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 this is actually my vision getting blurry. And um, so 40 turned into 41 and 40, 40, you know how that goes. And it keeps getting, uh, and everything's sort of like this before I can see it and everything in front of me is literally blurry well it started to drive me crazy and I tried like the uh like local reader you know readers I tried them and they like make me feel like crazy because I could go to like I'd look up and everything was so blurry because I can see so great far away and um but then when I put them on I could see so great and it just bothered me so I went to the doctor to figure out a better option um, I think those are called bifocals actually is what the word she used anyway so that's where I'm at in my life congratulations welcome this is this morning and anyway so I was sitting in there in the doctor's office and then they put those little drops in and I'm everything is more blurry, you know, and they put the drops in and I can't see and this is bothering me and I've never had those drops and that's literally like one of the worst experiences ever. Like you're, a t- you know, you can't see anything all of a sudden. They take me out into the lobby. They have me pick out a pair of glasses. Well, I'm sure you guys, when you see me next week, they're going to look really great because I basically picked out the pair of glasses that I'm going to wear on a regular basis blind because I had the dilation drops in and I really couldn't see. So I'm not really sure what this is even going to look like. But what I have found is that in my life, in my walk with God, and in, in my journey with Christ, I have I've been blessed to walk with him a really long time. And, I've, and because of that gift, and it is a gift, I know it. I know that generation, generationally, I've been gifted by my family and by the generations of my family to know God the way I do. And I have seen him at a distance, and I've seen so clearly, chased after him so, so passionately, yet Now I find that even after walking with him this long, that sometimes the up close seems so scary. And a lot of it comes from all the things that have happened in my past. My vision is blurry up close when it comes to walking and stepping in faith with him, to stop waiting and to start doing. I don't want to do that thing because sometimes I can't see because things have happened along the way. Waiting is easy sometimes for me. It's comfortable and it's known. But the pain that's happened in my past, sometimes it makes me frozen. It makes me not want to step. You see, I, and probably you too, have been hurt by people. Like, people have hurt me. And you know what else I realized? That I, 
I have hurt people. And people have disappointed me. And um, I have disappointed people. And in ministry, as awesome as sometimes it probably seems for people to be in ministry, ministry has hurt us. It was a tough road. And there have been things along the way that really, really scarred me as we went through this journey of ministry. But then there were things that I did along in ministry where I hurt other people. And all of those things as they happened and as the devil has made little inkling and little imprints on our life trying to stop us from the purpose of God, my vision has sometimes gotten blurry. Because when things are good and they're working and they're going the way they're supposed to, it just seems easier just to wait. Why risk? Why change? It just seems easier to not moving, to not move. It's these hurts, the pain, the regret, loss in our life, mistakes, circumstances. Because life has happened and it has blurred our vision, we don't move and we wait. And we miss seeing where God actually can take us. So what happens is that fear becomes our vision and faith has become a thing of our past. Fear becomes our vision because it gets clouded Vision gets clouded because all those fears get in the middle and make it so we can't see clearly. And our faith becomes something that we forget about. It becomes a thing that we think of in our past. We don't want to risk failure. Risking failure means we're not good enough. I don't want to risk disappointment, not meeting someone else's needs, and me not being the thing they want want me to be. Or sometimes I don't want to be that person that maybe makes them uncomfortable or makes them feel challenged. Like, I don't want people to feel disappointed by me. I also really fear being rejected. That what the thing is that I feel like God is telling me I'm supposed to do, the voice of someone else is going to tell me that I can't. And that's scary. That's scary to me. And what has happened, and as we were looking through all of our sermon notes and just praying about God to give us the word, we came across Hebrews 11.1. It's just a reference from the New Testament where it says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. You see, fear becomes our vision and faith becomes our past, but that's not the commandment that God gives us. He says here, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. I remember a time in my life when I was um, younger and uh, some of the pains hadn't come as much yet. I was a little innocent, and it was, I was a little easier to take a step of faith. And, um, but I, I walked through one of probably the very first, first couple of, like, marking painful experiences in my life. You see, before Darren, um, as wonderful as he is, I was actually engaged to be married to someone else. Um, had been in the relationship all through college. Nice guy. It was a dark season. Oh, here we go. He did this in the last service. He keeps interrupting me in the last service. He kept doing this. Very very little wisdom in her life. He did this in the last service. Anyway, so I was in this relationship in college. It was time to graduate. You know, I went to a nice, wonderful Christian college where getting your MRS degree is really important. I had gotten that all figured out. And um, six, five weeks before the wedding, the wedding was called off. And I'm not going to go into all of the gory, horrible, emotional details of that process, of what that does to a 21-year-old girl when that happens. But it happened. And I found myself in, at a crossroads. I had no job. I had quit my job at the time to move where he was going to live. And I had moved out of my apartment because I was getting married and I'd moved all my stuff to my parents' house. So I found myself 
back at home with my parents. I had no job, and I had no plan. And I, like what we were talking about earlier, Darren's really quick to step out into things, and I really like a plan. So that was a really interesting crossroads in my life for God to put me at and for me to understand why. And I really didn't have a lot of time to move. Like, I didn't. I had to have a job. I had to have a house. I, I, I wanted those things for my life. I was done with college. And God said and gave me an opportunity to step and to move. And that step was Indiana. You see, I grew up in North Carolina. That's where I always lived. I always say that I'll always be Southern at heart. You might be able to hear it a little bit in my voice this morning. And, but God said, go to Indiana. I'm going to give you an opportunity there. I moved to Indiana, and the interesting thing about that step of faith is that when I moved to Indiana, I moved into an apartment building, and around the corner in the other building of the apartment lived this guy. God is good. And around, all the time. And all the and time. I, God is good. I, I didn't say that part. I was just getting blessed. I was just getting blessed. <laughs> and then around, and then I started a job at a Christian at a ministry organization here, where this guy worked down the hallway in a different office. Notice my and shepherd. I start, and I started. <laughs> volunteering at a church in the youth group where this guy was also volunteering. Now, just to make it a little jab, I just want you to know I didn't like him at first. As a matter of fact, he absolutely drove me crazy. However, when I look at that step of faith to Indiana from North Carolina and that huge altering change in my life, it brought me to Darren, which brought us to awesome experiences in ministry. It brought us to difficult experiences in ministry, but it made us who we are today. It gave us three wonderful kids. It's given us a host of friendships and relationships that have impacted us for the better, made us sharper. Even when those relationships were difficult, they sharpened us. We walked through difficult seasons together in those moments, and they made us better. All of that was from one step at a difficult crossroad that said, all right, let's see what you got, God. I'm going to step out even when I can't see, when I can't see what Indiana looks like, when I can't see what you have for my future. He was faithful. Fear becomes our vision. Faith has become our past when bad things have happened to us. But what God wants for us is faith to become our vision, faith to become our vision, and fear to become a thing of our past. We can't let that fear hold us back. Faith is the core of where he needs us to go, the journey he wants us to move into And so when everything is blurry in front of us and we can't see the next step or the sea seems too big and we can't imagine him being able to rip it wide open, it's faith. Faith has to be our vision and the fear has to be our past. So true. And I think one of the things that that we feel, even if we sort of take that step, is the next emotion that I think often we feel is like, it's like, okay, I can't see, but maybe I'll step out in faith. But here's my next fear is, is is the reason I'm waiting is because I'm not ready like, I'm not ready for what might happen next. I can't see it, but I don't think I'm ready because I don't think I'm prepared for it or I'm equipped for it or I'm qualified for what that's going to be. And so I'm not moving because I'm not ready. I've been there before. I know how that feels. And here's what I've found time and time again and what the Israelites discovered in this story is when you're not ready, here's the good news. God always is. Julie couldn't see how that whole situation was going to work out. But God was ready to put all the pieces together. And I love as we jump back into this story, it comes back to a really, really powerful word. It's this word, meanwhile. Hmm. Meanwhile. Check out the story. God says to the Israelites, get these people moving, all right? Here's what I need you guys to do. I need you to walk, all right? So God gives them an immense, huge challenge. 
Okay, human beings, you're in a situation you can't fix. You need a massive miracle. Here's the thing I'm going to ask you to do. Walk. That's it. That is literally all they did was walk. Take your right foot and put it down and then put your left foot in front of it. Just start walking. And God says, and meanwhile, meanwhile, as you do the one thing you can possibly do while that's happening, meanwhile, I'll make sure the Egyptians keep up their stubborn chase. I'll use Pharaoh and his entire army, his chariots, his horsemen to put my glory on display so the Egyptians will realize that I'm God. And he goes through this entire, unpacks all this miracle that he does all the way to the end of it. The, is, the, the, the Egyptians are screaming, run from Israel. God is fighting on their side and against Egypt. And right now, you're waiting because you're not ready. Because you can't figure out how God's going to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. You're at a place right now where in your marriage, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's possible for her to ever change the way she needs to change. Or you're at a place where I don't think I could ever love him that way again. Or you're at a place where you can't figure out how you're ever going to find peace with your children or your parents. Or your finances are in such a way right now where you're going, I don't know how, God, this, we need a miracle. And what God is saying is, how about this? How about you take that next step of obedience, just the thing that you can do. And meanwhile, I will be at work behind the scenes doing what only I, God, can do. Because, friend, I want you to believe this. God is fighting for you, not against you. What's that one thing you could do? My guess is that you know. Because a lot of times what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to bring things that we need to do, that next step of faith. And it's usually really simple stuff like call your mom, tell her you're sorry. Meanwhile, I'll do some things in her heart to heal the relationship, Mm -hmm. right? It's things like, Sign up to serve at church. Tell your wife you're scared and need help. Actually tell Jesus that you want him into your life. I don't know what it is for you. My guess, though, is there's something that when you've been at church recently or you're just around your life, when you think about it, these thoughts just keep coming to your mind. Again and again, this is the thing that you keep thinking about. And when you think about it, it makes you anxious or nervous or sweaty or your heart beats because God's saying he's nudging you. Start moving. Start moving. And when God speaks to you, I want to encourage you this. It doesn't sound like this. This is what you should do. By the way, it's me, God, right? It's usually your voice in your head. And it's usually gentle and compassionate. And he's saying, hey, what about this? And right now, you're waiting because you're not ready. Let me encourage you. God is. And you take that step. And meanwhile, he'll begin to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. We wait because we can't see what's in front of us, and we wait because we don't feel ready. But I think a lot of times we wait just because we want to. And I know this morning that that is probably the heaviest part of this for me, is that I like to be 
in control of how it goes. I like for it to be the way that I want it to be. We wait because we want to. We wait because it's easier, it's more comfortable, it doesn't require change, but we just don't do it because that's just something that doesn't appeal to us right now. You see, in my own life, I find that this is what God is doing. You see what Darren's talking about, that nudging, that prodding? I hear it all the time about little things. I hear it all the time, and so many times I tell myself the story. I'm probably not good enough to do that. So I'm just going to wait because I don't want to put myself out there. Oh, you want me to try this. Oh, you want me to reach out to that person and try to make this relationship right. Oh, wait, you want me to fight for my marriage. Well, I'm really tired of fighting God. I'm really tired of fighting. Like we hear those voices in our head and we know that they're from him, but we just don't want to because it seems so big and it seems so hard. So we just wait. We just stop. But what it is in our life is that we don't control all the opportunities. We do not control the opportunities necessarily. We don't always control the job offers. We don't always control the reaction that that person that we try to make the relationship right, we can't control their reaction. They may not receive it the same way we do. We can't control our spouse. They may not do the things that we do. But here's the deal, we don't control the opportunity, but we do control, we do control the obedience. And whatever it is that God is saying to us right now, we have to act in that. You see, when we were doing this sermon, uh, and Darren asked me to speak, I have a tendency, um, if Darren says, hey, would you be willing to do this ministry thing with me? I tend to say no. No, I don't want to. No, I probably should stay with the kids. No, the kids have too much on their schedule, even though we have a multitude of people who will help us. That's how we got through this morning, let's be honest. But I find reasons to say no. And so he asked me to speak with him today, and I said yes. And I was like, why did I say that so quickly? And even he was like, why did you say that so quickly? And I was like, I don't really know why I said that so quickly. Maybe I didn't really mean yes. And um, (laughs) what are we talking about? Oh, we're going to talk about grace and truth. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about grace and truth. I've done that a lot. I've done that in my Bible studies with women. I feel like that's something in my life God has really helped me to utilize. Like, I can extend grace. I can give truth, I can receive truth, sometimes, and I can receive grace. Uh, I got this. This is great. So right before my doctor's appointment for my eyes, you know, because I'm going, you know, blurry and old, I got an email from Josh and Darren that says that they had decided to change the sermon series. And I was like, okay. And I'm reading down, and I'm like, oh, stop waiting, start moving. Okay, this is really cool, God, the way you kind of snuck this one in, because this is me. This is me, you guys. I'm waiting. God is saying, Julie, I have so much more for you. I know you like your job and you like the little kids you work with with First Steps, but I have more. There's more I want you to do. And it may not be actually my job, but he is saying, it is time. You need to move. I have more for you. More for you in your relationships. More for you in your ministry. More for you in your marriage. More for you in your job. I have more because that's what he wants for us. And do you know what? He has more for each of you. I'm in ministry. I'm married to a guy who does this for a profession. He's fabulous at it. He, I have like literally, I have a literally like guidebook that could tell me how to step out in faith and move. And I still don't want to. So I'm just like you guys. It's scary. But he wants us to do that. He 
we don't control the opportunities. We don't, but we definitely control the obedience. And today we're supposed to move, step, try, trust. And even when the sea is too big or all the fears of our life have made everything blurry, he's just asking for the first step. And I think the cool thing about this story is where he was leading them was to the promised land. Like he was taking them to the best place possible for them. And that's where he wants to lead you. Because God really does have your best interest at heart. He really is for you, not against you. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to nudge you. Let's stop waiting and start moving. And meanwhile, I'll do what only I can do. Stand with us. As we close today, I want to I just encourage you to ask God to speak to you. What is that next step? It's probably something really small, and it's absolutely something you have the power to do so that he can begin doing what only he can do. Think about it, pray about it, and then stop waiting. Start moving. If you'd like to pray with somebody in the prayer room, I've had people all morning doing that, would encourage you to do so. But I want to talk to a specific group of people right now. God woke me up last night at two in the morning. I wasn't happy about it. I really love sleep. And uh, I was awake for an hour. And I was like, what's going on, God? Could we, could we get back to sleep? I was having this cool dream. And I'm just laying there staring at the ceiling. And then I think God gave me why he had me awake is he, he brought a story to my brain as I was awake about waiting. And I hesitate to tell the story I have all morning because I never want to use guilt or fear to ever motivate you to do anything. But this isn't fear motivated. This is just a real story. And I think God woke me up at 2 a.m. to say, tell people this story. Last month I was speaking and there was a gentleman here And I gave an invitation similar to to what I'm going to give right now. And I don't know that guy's story. I don't know what he did with the invitation. He may have been following Jesus his whole life. I don't know. And I don't know if he said, you know what? I'm going to wait on that Jesus stuff. Or if he said, you know what? God brought me here to follow Jesus. And he made the decision. I don't know what he did in the moment, whether he moved or he waited. Here's all I know is that he came to church that morning And he heard this invitation, and by that Sunday night, he was dead. And I don't talk a lot about eternal hell, this kind, because Jesus didn't really motivate people with that a lot, but it's bothered me since I got that email. And I feel like God woke me up this morning at 2 a.m. to say, hey, like, life is really fragile. And the number one most important movement you can make is towards the God who died for you, who came back from the dead and has already forgiven you of your sins. He's just waiting for you to receive the gift and say, you know what, Jesus, I give you my life. And so with all heads bowed and eyes closed, just between us and God, I just want to give you the opportunity right now. If you're here, 
is that you may be here this morning and the nudge that you need to hear, and it's maybe been something that's happened, maybe this is your first time at church, maybe this is your 40th time, and you just keep waiting. Maybe you've had this opportunity where Josh or myself or somebody else has given you an opportunity to, to make a decision to follow Jesus, and, and you've waited. You think, you know what, I don't really, that song, I like that one song they sing when they sing it, I kind of cry, and I'm gonna wait till they sing that song, and then I, I, I'll, I'm gonna wait. But I wanna encourage you to stop waiting because you don't know how many more opportunities that you have. And there's a God who loves you, that forgave you, that wants to begin leading you into your promised land. And it begins with the relationship. So here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna count to three. And at the, at the count of three, if that's you, if you say, you know what? It's time for me to stop waiting. I need to follow Jesus. I wanna give Jesus my life. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. And I wanna pray for you. Stop waiting. Start moving. If that's you, and God woke me up at 2 a.m. to tell you that story, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Just between you and me, raise your hand. Yes. I see those three hands. Anybody else? Four. Yep. Anybody else? I see you over here. Anybody else? Just shoot your hand up real quick. Let me see it. You, me, and God. Stop waiting. Just throw your hand up. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. See you over there on the left. Thank you so much. You put your hands down. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people who have responded to your love. If, you've, if you raised your hand, you can just, as we're singing this song, you can pray something real simple like this. Jesus, I need you in my life. I give you my life. I've waited. I've been scared. I don't know that I'm ready. I don't have all my questions answered, but if you love me, if you'll forgive me, if you'll teach me how to live, if you'll teach me how to love, if you'll teach me how to forgive, I want to learn to follow you. You can say it in your own words. Just make sure you mean it from your heart. And I'm really proud of you for not waiting.